My name is Carlin Barasenko, and you're listening to the Actively Unwoke podcast. So I want to talk a little bit about my methodology, my approach to studying and understanding the left, because I take a different approach to this than the vast majority of people who are talking about this. And that was a purposeful decision when I made it. You know, when I really got into this game, it was 2019. And that was when I started trying to figure out what the heck was going on with my own side. And that started me on a journey of listening to a lot of new voices I'd never listened to before. And at that time, the people who were, quote unquote, fighting back against the left, although I don't necessarily really believe now that they were fighting back, but I thought they were then. The people who were doing that were largely academics. Now, I have a PhD. I know how to speak academic. I know how to read academic. I know how to write academic. The idea behind writing, speaking, existing in academia is essentially the idea that you need to take five sentences to say something that you could have said in three words, but you really have to fluff it all up and use the most flowery possible language you can in order to impress people. And so I know how to do all that. When I wrote my dissertation, they told me, they said, you've got everything in your dissertation, but it's too short. Can you just fluff it up like 10 pages? And so literally I added 10 pages to my dissertation that wasn't actually additional content because the dissertation already had all the content. It was just fluff to make it look good. That is a that is an accurate summary of what academia is like. And if it wasn't enough that I had a PhD, I worked in higher education for 10 years. I know these people. So when I got into this space, it was mostly the academics talking about it. And and so if academics are going to talk about something, they're going to take the academic approach, which is they're going to go to the literature and they're going to go to the journals and they're going to go to the scholarly publications and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that makes perfect sense for studying the evolution of the left because the evolution of the left is a story that is told through academia. You know, the problems in the United States with this started when the Frankfurt School came over to the United States and set up shop at Columbia University a little bit before World War II, mostly in earnest after World War II. And that's the origin point of every crazy idea we're experiencing in the world today. Now, it's perfectly appropriate and necessary that that should be studied, that should be analyzed, and there are a ton of people doing it. But for me, even back when I was in academia, I kind of had this idea that normal people should be able to understand content. And it's fine to speak academic and exist in that mindset when you're in that context. But when you're trying to help normal people, you need to transition the language and approach to normal people. And maybe that's partly because I was in the working world. When I did my graduate degrees, I was an adult learner. And and I, quite frankly, wouldn't have had it any other way. I didn't have to deal with any woke nonsense throughout my entire college education because by some miracle, I went to Boston University during the John Silber years. He literally left the year I graduated and then it all went to hell. But I never had any of this woke nonsense throughout my entire academic career. And part of that was because I had a conservative chancellor running the university I went to as an undergraduate. And then I went to, to, I did online school. I did online school for my master's and my doctorate, and I have no regrets about that. People may make fun of it, but 
I mean, joke's on them. I got zero indoctrination. Anyway, because I was an adult, I think, when I did my graduate education and I had to be in the working world and do crazy things like get a job, I've always been much more focused on practical application in the real world. And so when I started going through my graduate program, I even had websites where I would take these academic articles I was reading and just try to break down the the main talking points of the article just in plain English in a way that everyone could understand it. Because I was like, there should be a more of a translation here. It just didn't make sense to me why everything had to be so overly complicated. So I've always kind of had that sensibility. And when I came into the so-called anti-woke space, you know, I came in with I'm a PhD in psychology, studying organizational psychology, industrial organizational psychology. I had my own workplace psychology practice that I had been doing full time, working for myself for several years. I knew how to analyze social systems and I knew I knew diversity training. I knew corporate training. And so when I kind of came into this space and I was trying to figure out what was going on on the left, my first idea was, well... A lot of these corporate trainers have put their diversity training online. And so why don't I watch it and I can try to reverse engineer it? Because that is literally the world that I came from was corporate training. And I and I came up in corporate training and I was reasonably well known in the HR space because I was speaking at some of the biggest HR conferences in the world at the time when diversity training was on the rise. I remember clearly being at the Society for Human Resources Management annual conference in Las Vegas, which was awesome, but that's another story. And this was in 2018, I believe. If it wasn't Las Vegas, it was Chicago or New Orleans. I think New Orleans was... Anyway, I was in some big city at a giant-ass HR conference, the biggest one in the world, and I was there to speak at it. And half of the damn exhibit hall all of a sudden was diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'd been coming to the conference for several years at that point. And so I was like, where did all this diversity stuff come from? Because in like 2018, it just sprang out of nowhere. And I've talked to other people in the space that kind of saw the same thing as me. So I was I was not only in corporate training, I was in corporate training during the rise of diversity training. Okay, so when I came into the anti-woke space, I was like, why don't I just analyze and reverse engineer diversity training? I understand this space. I understand how these trainings work. I understand the psychology behind these trainings. This is something I like to do. I know that sounds kind of weird, but I'm a weird person that got a PhD in this. Like I I did this for a living. Like I, I like doing it. I find it interesting. And that was my entry point to analyzing the woke left, which I was calling the woke left at that point. And I still do sometimes, but now has kind of expanded into the radical revolutionary socialist far left. I'm not going to get into distinguishing aspects of those different categories. And so every single week, at least once a week, and oftentimes I was actually doing it more than once a week, I would go live on my YouTube channel and I would watch a corporate diversity training or a whiteness training or a gender training or, you know, any of the most, I was trying to find the most cringe stuff you can find because You clip that, you put it on the internet, it goes viral, everyone has a laugh, like whatever. But I started watching these trainings and one of the things that I'm very good at is pattern recognition. I'm just one of those people that can like, I can do puzzles really easily. 
I can pick out like patterns that are occurring in different social systems really easily. That's why I was such a good organizational psychologist, because I could look at a room and kind of get to know a couple things about the people. And I would be able to pick out how that group was working together almost within, you know, a half an hour of meeting them because you just pick up on certain things after a little bit of time. And I started to find when I was watching these diversity trainings every single week, and sometimes, honestly, it became a little bit of an obsession. I was watching them a lot, even privately when I wasn't online. I started picking up patterns in the language and patterns in how the training was taking place. And I've also always been a qualitative analyst. My dissertation was a qualitative dissertation. I prefer analyzing qualitative data for whatever reason. A lot of people really struggle with that. A lot of people, it, it is actually pretty rare to have like people do qualitative dissertations because qu quite frankly, quantitative dissertations that are more like surveys and things like that, those are much easier to execute than a qualitative dissertation is. And a lot of people who they look for those kind of like hard numbers, they have a hard time wrapping their head around what is required to analyze qualitative data. But I've just always been really good at that and I find it more interesting because I find qualitative data to be kind of like the story of humanity. The thing with qualitative research is you can't apply it to everything. It's not designed to be applied to everything, not like a survey is. But what you can do is you can find these patterns and these experiences that show up over and over and over again, and then you can pinpoint those and then study those with quantitative research that's going to give some more hard numbers to it. So it's like qualitative data is like the entry point to what's going on in the world because you have to be able to identify the different variables to put it into the quantitative data. If you don't have the qualitative data, you don't know what to survey on for the quantitative data. These things are supposed to build on each other. So I started getting just these large amounts of qualitative data from these diversity trainings. And I didn't expect this. I mean, I probably should have. If I was smart about it, I probably should have. <laughs> I actually kind of, I think I'm a little foolish now for not expecting this to happen. But I just, I guess I just didn't think of it back then. And I kind of just started existing in this space where I was constantly looking at all of the different patterns that existed out of this diversity training and things like capitalism. You know, how I started getting into the socialist left was because, and you can go back and watch these videos, they're on my channels. We started hearing capitalism, 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 capitalism in all of these diversity trainings. And it wouldn't be like the main subject of the training. It would be like an aside. It would be like, oh yeah, and we need to get rid of capitalism too. Or, oh yeah, and capitalism's part of the problem. And every time this happened, I would be like, what are you talking about? Capitalism is the problem? What are you talking about? And at that time, it didn't click for me. You know, you hear these these things and everyone's like, oh, it's a vast Marxist conspiracy theory and all that. But quite frankly, you know, for as many conspiracy theories as the conservative right does get correct, and they do get some of them correct, they also come up with some crazy stuff that is just not grounded into reality at all. And so I guess it hadn't clicked for me that these diversity trainings were in fact part of a Marxist conspiracy, or maybe I didn't want to admit it, whatever. But I kept hearing capitalism, 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 capitalism over and over and over and over and over again in these trainings. And it didn't matter what the subject was. Capitalism was almost always brought up. And I would kind of make note of it when it happened. I was like, oh, there's capitalism again. Huh. This goes on for about a year. Just listening to these trainings all the time. Every time I found a training, I would always get so excited would listen to it, 
would think, oh, there's capitalism. Oh, they're talking about property. Oh, they're talking about that kind of sounds a little socialist. And then we stumbled upon the radical revolutionary socialists. And if I'm honest about it, I really do think that that material was littered in among all the other things I was listening to. I just didn't realize what I was hearing because I wasn't listening for socialist at that time. But then I started listening in earnest. And once I got to the point where I understood that I was looking at radical revolutionary socialism, listen, I love dystopian things. And so to find real dystopia in the real world, I was hooked. And then I really started just listening to this stuff like all the effing time. And I started realizing that the language patterns that were happening in the diversity training were all coming from someplace. And you could track the language that we were hearing in the diversity trainings, the the patterns in the language and even how the information is presented and sometimes even like direct quotes, you could track it back to these things that we were hearing far more overtly from the radical revolutionary socialist left. And from there, I was able to identify many of the key activists that are actually pushing these ideas. I'm getting into the origin point, not of these ideas itself, because the ideas have been around for a long time, but I'm getting to the origin point of the activism network. And I know them by name. I know their organizations. Most people don't know that. Most people have no idea. People say, who's the leader on the left? And they go, no one. I'm like, no, 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 they have leaders. <laughs> they really do. They, I know them. I know who they are. And all of this is because I was focusing entirely on real world application of these ideas. And this is why my work is different than other people's. This is why so many people on the, in this, even in the so-called anti-woke space, they can't wrap their head around what I'm doing because I am not reading the academic literature. And it's a purposeful decision that I am not reading the academic literature. I'm not reading the philosophy. I'm not going back and reverse engineering the entire revolution starting 70 years ago. I'm not really doing any of that. What I'm doing is I'm looking at how they show up in the real world. And there are occasions when I will go back and I'll watch historical things if I'm curious about a specific idea or activist or things like that. But almost every single thing that I watch, almost every single thing that I consume comes from the between the progressive left and the radical revolutionary socialist left. Veering more towards the radical revolutionary socialists these days, but I still do kind of say in that, I, like, I don't want to classify them as all the same far left because progressive is not the same as radical revolutionary socialist, but progressive is also more leftist than like your average Democrat, things like that. So I would say I, I play in that area and I only watch trainings and classroom exercises, and coffee shop talks, and bookstore presentations, and conference presentations. I only watch how they're teaching their ideas to each other and to the larger community within the past 10 years or so. Sometimes I'll veer out of that. There really has to be a good reason 
but that is pretty much all that I'm watching. And that is all that I'm consuming. And that is a purposeful decision. Listen, I'm recording this podcast on a day when I have a group of so-called anti-woke people smearing me on Twitter because I didn't know the name of the Czech Republic president who was the first ever non-communist elected in the Czech Republic and a speech or an essay or something that that person wrote in the 80s. And they're like, oh, ha ha, Carlin is a fraud because she doesn't know this person. Ha 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 ha. And it's like, bitches. And I'm sorry if that offends anyone, but if you guys knew the amount of grief that I took from the so-called anti-woke space on like a daily basis, you would understand why I'm using that language. And I was like, bitches, that is not my methodology. I am very sorry. I know that there are probably a great many people who are interested in the speech that the Czech Republic president gave or the essay he wrote in the 80s. But I'm not one of those people because that is not my methodology. And they go, but you don't know the history. And I go, I don't care about the history. I'm sorry. I just don't. I know enough. I know all that I need to know about the history. Because what I am focused on, and all I really care about, is how they are executing in the real world right now. And the fact that there are so many people that cannot wrap their head around this in the so-called anti-woke space, that is all the evidence that I need that this perspective is unique and this perspective is necessary. The reason I didn't start deep diving into the literature and the philosophy and the scholarly articles is first off, I didn't want to because watching them is bad enough. I can't imagine reading them every single day, but it's also because everyone else was already doing it. I don't need to do a tryst on the Gulag Archipelago. I don't need to. Have I listened to it? Parts of it? Yeah. It's a really long book. Do I find it fascinating? Well, sure. But right now, would I prefer to spend my time watching an obscure diversity training funded by the federal government just to see what our tax dollars are paying for, to see if they say anything crazy and cringe and woke that I can put out on the internet to maybe rally some questions about why the federal government and our taxes are paying for this nonsense in the first place? I would rather watch that training knowing that I'm probably going to be bored to tears rather than read the Gulag Archipelago. I just would. I think it's more practical. I think it's more actionable. And no one else is doing it. Anyone can read a book. Anyone can read a scholarly article. Anyone can spend their days pouring over the speeches, denouncing communism and studying, you know, Mao and stuff like that. And I don't begrudge any of that. People are allowed to do what they want. But there is no one else that I know of analyzing the left like I am analyzing them. I'm looking at the qualitative data of how they're showing up in the world, and I'm doing a linguistics analysis. This is like forensic linguistics. This is how they caught the Unabomber. They, they reverse engineered his manifesto. That's how they caught him. They used language to be able to suss out where he was. I'm doing exactly the same thing, but I'm doing it with the socialist left, and no one else is doing this. And there'll be a lot of people who don't respect my methodology. There are, there already are. There provably are. There are people on Twitter who say, how dare you do this rather than read the essay from the 80s from the former Czech Republic president. How dare you? You are a fraud and a bully and a horrible person and a pseudo academic. 
They literally did say this. I'm not exaggerating. That's literally what was said because I didn't want to read an essay from the 80s. These people can't wrap their heads around it. They don't know why what I do is valuable. But I see the impact of what I do. I see the audience members who watch what I show them and they have their aha moments that they don't they don't have by listening to the people who are doing the scholarly stuff. And sure, there will be other people who do the scholarly stuff that give people different aha moments and that's fine and that's how it should be. But I think my methodology is uniquely valuable because it is the only one that is focused on analyzing the real world application of the ideas. The reality is that what is written in an academic journal is not necessarily directly applicable to the real world. Sometimes it might be, but a lot of the time it's not going to be because academic journals are not meant to translate directly to the real world. The information in them is meant to be applied. Those are two different things. My information is almost entirely based on how these people are showing up in the real world on video with receipts that anyone can see. Don't tell me that's not valuable just because it's different. I wish we lived in a space where people in this space would work together, not try to throw each other to the bus, trying to find ways to help each other and support each other. But we don't live in that space. I used to think we did, and I got really taken advantage of for that. I'm never going back to that. So that's the methodology that I have. I look at the real world. I only look at the real world. And there'll be a lot of people out there that don't get that. They don't get why I ignore the scholarly stuff because I'm doing too much complex data analysis to like get these other things in my brain. I can't, I can only process so much. I'm already processing like a lot. And some people will find that valuable and some people won't because I refuse to spend my time looking at that. And even if I say, well, go talk to someone who is looking at that. I don't begrudge them doing it that way. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying I'm not doing it. Something doesn't compute. I wish that I could find someone that was deep in the literature to actually talk to me because that hasn't worked out. I tried, it didn't work out. But I wish that I could find someone that was deep in the literature to really kind of sit down with me and help me to draw my ideas about what's going on based on watching thousands of hours of these people with what they see in the literature. And not to not to have it be like me over them or them over me, but to actually like work together to say, okay, Carlin, you're seeing this from a qualitative linguistic perspective. Now let's coordinate what you're seeing with what we're seeing in the literature. I personally think that would be a really valuable use of time. Sadly, I find the people who do the literature thing to be largely academic douches who don't want to have that conversation because they don't value what I do or they don't understand what I do or they won't even take a moment to sit down and actually look at what I'm doing. I wish that was different. I really do. But if I can't find someone to do that, that doesn't mean that I can't just keep my head down and focus on what I'm doing and focus on my approach because Quite frankly, and this might ruffle some feathers, but I think my approach is better. I think my approach, if we, if, if, if the goal is to solve the problem, then my approach is better because it's more connected to what the problem actually is because it is what the people are pushing. It's what they're teaching. 
It's how they're making their money. It's who they are. It's where they work. It's their organizations. I have their, I have, I have a network of organizations that like, it's mind blowing. That's another podcast for another day. But I have all that and I can't get anyone on the academic side to actually look at it or consider it or any of these things because they don't value what I'm doing or they don't like my attitude or they don't like my tone or yada, 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 yada. And then I say, well, aren't you more interested in solving the problem than you are in my tone? And if you aren't, then what are we even doing here? There is no one else in the space doing what I'm doing. If you know of someone that you think is doing what I'm doing, please tell me. I would genuinely love to talk to them. I'm not joking. But I don't think that exists because I've been looking for it for a year now and I can't find it. Anyway, I wanted to be very clear about my perspective, the evolution of my thought process around this, and just my general approach to give people a little bit more insight into it. So when you're hearing me talk about something, it's not because it's my opinion. It's because it's what's showing up in the real world. It's because I've heard real activists say it. And it's and I probably haven't just heard them say it once. I've heard them say it over and over and over and over and over again. And in all likelihood, I have video of that that you can probably find on my YouTube channels, one of them. And if you have questions, I'll answer it. But I like my methodology. I think it's good. I think it's original. I don't think anyone else is doing it. I think it's incredibly valuable. And I think I'm very, very, very effing good at it. This is a weird moment where several of my random skill sets that I just happen to accumulate over the course of my life or things that I happen to be naturally good at have all kind of come together at the same time in precisely the right way. And it's made me excellent at analyzing what the socialist left is doing. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I will work with whoever wants to work with me. I'm not going to change my tone for you. I'm not going to coddle you. I'm not, I'll be very nice. I'll be nice and respectful to you as long as you're nice and respectful to me. But I will work productively with anyone who wants to work productively. The challenge that I've had is that I can't get people to understand my methodology. And I can't get people to look at what I'm doing. And if they do, they look down on it. Oh, it's so droll, darling. Okay, whatever. I'm not an academic. Well, I can speak academic, but I've never considered myself to be an academic. And I never will be. I don't like that mentality. I don't like that language. I don't like existing in that world. Maybe I'm traumatized from being in it for so long, but I don't like it. If people want the academics and they think the academics will save them, they got more than enough. But for now, I'm going to focus on my real world application of the methodology and we're going to see what happens. And I hope you appreciate what I do. If you if you do, head over to my Substack, sign up to support my work, eight bucks a month, eighty bucks a year. My Substack is Carlin K A R L Y N dot Substack dot com. That's also where you can find back episodes of the podcast and all of my articles and video clips and things like that. I appreciate it, guys. I'll be back with another episode real soon. Take care.